0: Good morning. good morning, everybody. Good. Yes. I really like this mic because I like to be able to talk with my hands, and it's hard to do that when you are holding a mic. I mean, I've tried, but it's not always been successful. Morning, Debbie. Good morning. The donuts have arrived. I won't be uh, offended if you get up and go get one. You will. I will not be offended. No, go right ahead. <clears throat> The crowd exits the room. <laughs> All right, so we're live and in color. Uh, I'm Les Terrell. I'll be your your moderator for the day. We're going to have a discussion, maybe a lively discussion, over the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. So before class started, we were talking about Thanksgiving. I hope everybody had a happy one. Yes? See lots of heads nodding. And uh, we had a very happy one. We um, got to spend some time with Noah and Amber before Thanksgiving, actually, um, before Thanksgiving Day. We spent uh, four days with them in Santa Barbara and had some really sweet time with them. And then we got back on Wednesday, uh, actually Tuesday night, and then we had all, all day Wednesday to get ready for about 20 people coming over on Thursday. And it was such a blessed time. My wife did such a wonderful job. She's, uh, as all of you know, she's an extraordinary host, truly. And it was, um, it was a, a good time. So I hope all of you had a blessed one as well. And uh, we have a lot to be thankful for, do we not? Yes. Amen. Yes, we do. So I'm going to start with a word of thanks uh, prayer, and then we'll begin our study. So, Father, we thank you so much from the bottom of our heart for all that you are to each of us, to each of us individually, to each of our families, Lord, to our network family, the the family here in this house here in Dallas. We just, um, I guess uh, we, we could go on and on about how much we have to be thankful for. So today, though, Lord, we're thankful for the beautiful weather, the fact that the rain has dried up, And the sun is out, and we thank you for your presence more than anything. I'm reminded I sent a text uh, to family earlier this week, and I said something about, you know, your presence is our present. And it's both a present that we are to receive and that we are to give. Um, And so I just pray, Lord, that as we open your word and visit with one another, today over your word and the and the precepts and the depths of your word, that you'll help us, Lord, to give that gift of Jesus and of your word to those that we come in contact with. Father, we love you, we glorify you, and we give you thanks for all things in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 All right. <clears throat> so... You know, I just, this morning, I wanted to just chat with you about, uh, you know, sometimes we all, when when we teach, we have a topic. The Lord lays a topic on our heart, and we explore it, and we study it, and uh, I really felt this time He wanted me to just share some of the things that He's been sharing with me, and so there's not one specific topic. We're just going to kind of jump around and talk about a few different things that the Lord has uh, laid on my heart, and that He's... um, Maybe pulled back the cover on, you know. I think that's a term. I know, Pastor, isn't uh, is it crypto? What is the word where it means like to take the lid off and look into? Apocalypsis, yes. So maybe a little bit like that. And and I'd love for you to share if you have something you want to share that is um, in line with what we what we're talking about. Um, on my mind lately. Uh, has been decision making, and and um, you know we all have these these inflection points in our lives where we have to make decisions. You know, then they could they could be little decisions, they could be big decisions, but decisions are important, and some decisions are more important than other decisions, and I've. I can make a quick decision if I need to. I mean, I'm not indecisive, but I'm also not one to be hasty in my decision making. I really, um, you know, prefer to pray about it and meditate about it and, you know, seek counsel, talk to Monica and, and really just kind of get it out there and have other people pray over things with me, uh, for me, and, and go about my decision making that way. Um, but I, I heard on some, some, somewhere, something I was listening to, they were talking about decision making <clears throat> and um, this person said, what has the Lord told you that He was going to do in your life? I mean, Nancy, is there anything that He's told you that He was going to do in your life, whether it's you know in your your, your calling, in your work, or or in your ministry or whatever, you know, as he told you specifically, whether it's in a dream or a vision or a word, uh, maybe a word from a prophetic voice that we trust, that he's told you he was going to do that he hasn't yet done. You know, you know that he's, he's going to accomplish this in your life, but it hadn't happened yet. And we, we have to be patient and trust in <clears throat> the timing of the Lord, right? because when we get impatient and we start thinking it's our timing and we start making things happen, what happens? You know, oftentimes we get into trouble. We, We, yes, we get into trouble. We go down a wrong path, and I don't know about you, but I don't want to go down the wrong path. I mean, the time is short. I want to stay on the path, and you've heard me say before. And I love this, um, this graphic in my mind. You know, an airplane, when it flies on autopilot, is not going in a straight line. Y'all know that? It doesn't go in a straight line. It's constantly veering off course and then course correcting, veering off course and course correcting. That's how our life is, right? We, we do, we veer off course and then we course correct. But when we come to making decisions, if we will look back, and, and I've been doing this uh, over the last number of weeks, writing down some of the things the Lord has said to you. And then when you come to that proverbial fork in the road where you've got to make a decision, which pathway is going to most closely align with what He's told you? Which pathway is going to have the greatest probability of being in sync and in line with what the Lord has told you He wants to do? You follow what I'm saying? You know, be, so so I, I guess what I'm saying is, and this is a freebie because it's not on your sheet, but um, let your decision-making be led by what the Lord has told you He is going to do in your life. And make those decisions that get you closer to the, to the pathway that He's told you He's going to take you down. Good? Let His promises to you be your guide and the choices that you make that help you get closer to hit the fulfillment of what He wants to do in your life. <clears throat> so um, we were talking earlier about Thanksgiving and, and the fact that our family was in Santa Barbara spending some time with Noah and Amber and then um, in Big Bear, California. Beautiful place, Dennis has been there. Um, we were chatting. But, I, I um, did a little, bit of, a little bit of journaling while I was doing my study, and so this teaching came from that, and I you know, titled it Gleanings from Morning Study in Santa Barbara, California, right? So nothing earth-shattering. But uh, we start out with what I titled the Midas Touch. Has anybody known somebody like that? It's like everything they touch turns to gold, right? I see a lot of heads shaking yes. And it's just, you know, you, you think you struggle, you work, you labor, you go to school, you get these degrees, you do all this stuff, but then there's these people that's like, they can't help, but it's like everything they touch, boom, oh, turned to gold, you know, boom, that turned to gold. And um, I think, I, I can't really remember the full story of, of Midas and the Midas touch, but we don't pray for that, right? Because remember, he like everything he touched literally turned to gold. you know if you hug your wife, you're in trouble. She's in trouble. Um, so, but I, I wanted to, to to bring that up and, and tell you that when I was reading, that came to my mind uh, this week, this past week when I was studying. And I looked, it actually came into my mind when I read this passage that I have on your handout from James chapter 1, verse 25. It says, But whoso looks... "...into the perfect law of liberty, and continues therein. He, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed." Okay, deed is work or works, right? We all want to do good deeds. What that means is we all want to do good works, right? So the word says, James is giving counsel to the saints that says, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein and, not, and, 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 and is not a forgetful hearer, meaning you, you, you look into the word, you see what the word tells you to do, and then you go about your day and you just kind of forget what you read. That would be a forgetful hearer. But actually, a doer of the work, the work he tells you to do through his word, the work he calls us to do through his word, that man will be blessed. And to me, it's a bit ironic because when you look at the law of liberty, I mean, liberty is another term for freedom, right? And then you look at our works, they almost seem inter... I'm sorry, they they, they don't seem interrelated. They seem totally... Disconnected, and they're not unrelated. They are related. But think about this: if if you if you have a job and you've got these tasks that you're supposed to do, right? We're we're trained in our in our thinking about work from the industrial age. That's how I mean. I'm just telling you now. That's how people are wired today. Okay, and we're not in the industrial age anymore. We're in the technological age. The industrial age everybody got up in the morning ate their eggs and toast put on their overalls laced up their work boots they took a, a company bus to the factory they got off they punched the time clock at eight o'clock they worked until eleven thirty. 30. they had 30 minutes or an hour where they went and got their little lunchbox with the thermos in it and made their ate their sandwich that their wife or mother had made for them the the bell rang they 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 punched back in they went and did their work and at five o'clock the bell rang again, they punched out and left. Okay, during that work day though, they had these tasks that they were supposed to be doing throughout the course of the day, right? So when I think about work, I think about tasks like that. But what this says, well, let's go back. When you're thinking about those tasks those things that you're doing at your work each day you expect to have some kind of outcome from it right right i mean think about if your task is building prefabricated housing after the course of three weeks you should have a house built right you should have something constructed a complete work but what if instead <clears throat> if 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 instead of getting up in the morning, having your eggs and toast, lacing on your work boots and getting your lunch pail and heading to the company bus, you sat at your desk in your study and you looked into the perfect law of liberty? This is an extreme example, but on on the irony here is in doing that, in, in looking into the law and in studying and meditating on God's Word and seeing what He has for you and, and, and what He wants you to do, um, your work is going to be blessed as a result of it. You still have to go to work and do your stuff. But the Lord blesses us when we spend that time in His Word searching diligently uh, and, and, and planting those, those seeds of wisdom in our spirit. Amen? When you look at uh, James 1.25, this word, looketh, is this word, and I'm probably going to butcher it, uh, para, I don't know if it's kypto or "kupto." seems like K-U would be "kupto," but whatever it is. What it means, though, and it's an interesting visual that, that comes up in your mind, Um, looketh into the perfect law of liberty, this word pericupto, it means to bend beside or to lean over as if to peer into something. I like this where it says to stoop down or to stoop to a thing in order to look at it, to look at it with your head bended forward. How many of you have perfect posture? I see a lot of you do not. I know I do not. I'm tr- I'm constantly trying to correct that though. But I think about when I sit at my study and I read, I like sit at my study and I'm not like this, I'm like this. I'm like hunched over <laughs> reading my word, flipping, grabbing, you know. And and that's exactly what this this word means. It means to be like hunched over and bowed before something. <laughs> and you're 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 inspecting it carefully out of curiosity. Uh, because you're wanting to become well acquainted with this. The Lord just reminded me, um, you know, Abraham Lincoln. Um, how many of you would love to have a president like Abraham Lincoln? Right? He read his Bible, you know, by the firelight, you know, by a candle. I mean, when the candle burned out, I think he would get near nearer the fire and, and do his Bible study. But I, I had that mental image of his beautiful face hunched over his word, you know, flipping through. And the Lord, you know, blessed him. He blessed our nation because of him. And when we look into that perfect law of liberty, and we're not just a, a hearer but a doer of, of what he tells us to do, that's when our work will be blessed. And... Um, This word continueth, it says, but whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, (coughs) excuse me, that word means to, uh, literally it means to be permanent, to persevere, to abide in, to continue to always be near that point of study. So when you're looking into the perfect law of liberty, it's something that you need to do always. It's not just for a season, it's not just before you teach class, it's something that we do always. So I I put down here, anything in italics is just my commentary. I think that uh, we're often inclined to believe that in order for us to make our deeds, you know, our works, the things that we do success, successful, that we need to what? We need to work harder, we need to work smarter, We need to work longer. We need to work more hours. We need to constantly be trying to climb the ladder of success. You know, the more we read, the more we study, the more education and degrees that we get, the more training we get, that somehow this is what will lead to our ultimate success. Right? Does anybody else see that out there in the world? I see people in my, and I've got a close friend of mine, in my business, they've got more letters after their name than you can shake a stick at. And you look at their success, and I'm not saying they're not successful, but you know, some of them that have four acronyms or whatever after their name, they're just as successful as you know, kind of the average everybody. And <clears throat> it's not that these things are, are bad. I mean, certainly they're not bad. Many times they are necessary, and many times um, they do expand our knowledge and our capability. But that's really not what leads to our deeds being blessed. What leads to our deeds being blessed is looking into and studying God's Word and listening to what He says to us through that Word, that continuous daily study, and then doing those things that we learn, doing those things that we see in His Word. And um, if we would... Implement and conduct our actions in accordance with the word that we hear. um, That is what will bless our deeds. Amen. That's what gets us closer to what the Lord says he wants to do in our life. uh, And whether it's in your work or in your personal life. And I think about this passage in Psalm 37 verse 23 that says, The steps of a good man are ordered... By the Lord, and He delights in His way. This word "ordered" here means literally to establish or to fix, um, to appoint. You know, the, the the steps of a righteous man are ordered. I believe that the Lord orchestrates. I don't. I don't believe in. I don't really believe in happenstance. I think all things happen for a reason. And I believe that the Lord orders our steps and that He orchestrates our meetings. He orchestrates our relationships. He orchestrates the contacts that that come into our lives, the relationships. He sets all that up. He moves things in our direction and He moves things out of our direction. When we're walking in the light and when we're walking in the in the Word, I believe that He moves things towards us. When we're not walking in His Word, uh, I think that He doesn't necessarily move things towards us. Things can get more difficult, more challenging. And that would be a good point when we see these, these challenges, you know, to do a little self-assessment. Am I doing the things I need to be doing or am I focused on in the wrong areas, right? <clears throat> God is sovereign, and we need to focus on Him more than on our work, more than on our labor, more than on our, our job. Again, I know, y'all, that we can't just sit there at, the, at your study, at your desk, and, and read the Word of God and not do your job every day, or you will be without a job, right? So we have to do these things, but we can't do them at the expense or the cost of not looking into that perfect law. Of liberty, because in studying and meditating and praying, that's when He blesses our deeds. He blesses our work. All right. Um, the next thing I gleaned in my study was from Amos chapter eight, and um, I wrote in my journal after reading this that basically Amos says the days the days come, says the Lord that I'm gonna send a famine on the land. It's not gonna be a famine of food and drink, but it's gonna be a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And I really feel that we are there today. And you know, the more, the more things change, the more they stay the same. You know, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun, and I do believe that. <clears throat> but I do think that a famine is upon us. How many of you would agree with me when I tell you that we are living in the most prosperous land on the face of the earth? I mean, we have been so blessed by innovation, technology, skill, uh, much of that the Lord has has, has imparted to uh, those that have gone before us. We are living in the most prosperous time, certainly in the U.S., but really globally. You know, I mean, we, we in my business, we talk about the emerging markets and the developed markets and, you know, pulling people out of the rice paddies into the cities. You know, I mean, we're, we're elevating uh, laborers into middle class and middle class into upper class. And we are just in, in one of the most prosperous times we've ever seen, ever. Um, but when I look around and just go about my daily life and look at, at, at what's going on around me, it seems that there is a famine in the land. And in Amos 8.11, it, it basically is, he's, he's, he is saying, he's prophesying with the Lord has told him and he in Amos 8:11 let's read it together it says behold the days come says the lord god that i will send a famine in the land it's not going to be a famine of bread nor a thirst for water but of hearing the words of the lord okay this was happening then it's happening happening now And when I read that, the first scripture that came to my mind after reading that one was this one that talks about, you know, people in the end days will have itching ears and they'll lay up for themselves teachers um, that essentially are going to tell them what they want to hear. Not the truth, but what they want to hear. We've all heard that comment or that that, that term, yes men. Dennis, when you were working, did you ever want to place yes men around you? Nor did I. I don't want people to tell me what I want to hear. I want people to tell me the truth. Right? And if I'm going down a wrong path or I'm not doing something that's right, Trish, you're way more valuable to me if you'll say, Les, that is not the right way to go because of this, this, and this. You know, the word says this, the word says that, and you're doing, you know, this and that. That's what we want. Right? But that's not what I see going on uh, in many places in the, in, in the world. Um, and w- w- go ahead, Dennis. Just say that the trap of the yes-man environment mm-hmm. as to me has always been, if the leader, me for example, if I've made a mistake, I would rather for a small group of two or three people to tell me I made a mistake, <laughs> because if they don't, Everybody <laughs> Very true, <laughs> and that's the trap of the yes man environment. And we see it today at the very top in the White House. Mm. You're getting it. Nobody says no, Joe. Nope, you're right, and that's one of the things I'm going to point out here in a minute. Is we we, we we see this at the at the at the at the top more than at, you know down in the in the lower uh, regions of society. Okay. <laughs> Not only like everybody will know, but everybody will also pay the price for it. Yeah. And it right. makes me think of David when he had the bright idea the enemy came and spoke to him to number the people. And the prophet went and did it. And then what happened? There was consequence. And the Lord brought famine by his, by David's choice. But then, you know, David went and said, I don't want these people. This was my right. this was my mistake. This was my yeah. And did the prophet actually say to David, Oh no, you're not supposed to do this? It was uh was it Uriah? It was one of his military leaders that he told to a number of the people, and he said to David, Look, the Lord's blessed you. You don't you don't need to do yeah. that. Why why would you do that? And yet David said, Do it and so he's under his command, he goes and does it. Right. There's a fine line there. Oh yeah. <laughs> As a prophet yeah. or you know, yeah, somebody in this is That's a great example that you bring up, Monica, because <clears throat> um, it wasn't Uriah. It was Joab. Joab. Joab was not a yes man, okay? David didn't say, Joab, go number the people, and Joab said, you got it, I'm out of here. He pushed back, yeah. right? Yeah. But that's a great example of even when you have yes men around you, you can kick against the pricks. I mean, you, you can say, no, I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to do this. And what happened to Joab? <laughs> yeah. So, did God judge Joab? He put him in a bad spot. Didn't he sure he? did. He put him in a bad spot. Yeah, but, too, I mean, how many thousands of people died from the famine? Yeah. 70,000, I think, or something like that. It's yeah. crazy. Great example, honey. We read in. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, <clears throat> it says, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts they will heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they <coughs> shall turn their ears away from the truth and will be turned unto fables. Okay. I think the word actually says... That does it say they will heap up to themselves? Yeah, they heap up to themselves. I love the, I love the, the, the imagery. You see, right? They're going to heap up teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. Um, <clears throat> this word, sound doctrine. They won't endure sound doctrine. Sound, of course, means to be healthy and whole. It means to be uncorrupt. It means to be. Um, uh, true, safe, healthy, wholesome. And this passage in Timothy and the one in Amos 11, I believe that we're there. You know, I mean, they were there then and we're there today. There is a famine in our land. There's a famine of hearing the words of the Lord, the life-giving words of God. And I noted here, but I don't see that everywhere. Like Dennis said, it seems almost more to be going on at the top. I do sense though a thirst for righteousness, for justice, um, for the the law of the Lord amongst our young people. We were again in Santa Barbara and we had the blessing of spending time with so many of Noah's um, friends that he made at Westmont. Influential people in his lives. People that have gone on to uh, preach and teach and be pastors at, at the church there that they go to. And in those young people, I sense that thirst for right that thirst for uh, seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And I'm reminded when I look at those young people and I I read these words, I'm reminded of the passage out of Malachi in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, which you have on your handout in the middle of page 2. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. I see that. I see that going on today. And we also see it when we look in Second Kings at Elijah and Elisha and the passing of that mantle from one generation to the next generation. In Second Kings chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, it says... When it came to pass, they were gone over, and Elijah looked at Elisha and he said, Ask what you want me to do for you before I'm taken away from you. And Elisha said, I pray, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So Elijah says, the thing that you have asked is a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken up from you, it will be so unto you. But if you don't see me, it will not be so. If somebody said, Dennis, ask me whatever you want to have, and you told them, and they said, okay, if you see me when I depart, you'll get it. If you don't, you, you won't. Just like Elisha, would, would, I would, you would never leave the side of that person, right? And that's what Elisha did. He clung to the prophet Elijah. He did not leave his side. And as a result as we read and it came to pass that as they went on and they talked behold there appeared a chariot of fire what a what a glorious and spectacular sight that must have been there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and they parted them asunder they 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 came between them okay elisha and elijah they had been like this elisha not leaving elijah's side But this chariot of fire and horses came between them and divided them. And Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven, and Elisha saw it. And he cried, younger generation to older generation, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And after he said this, he saw him no more. So he took hold of his own clothes. <clears throat> if you wanted to be prosperous in these days, all you had to do was be a tailor and hang around the Jewish people. Okay? You would never want for business. Yes, yes, a clothing merchant as well. <clears throat> Elisha takes hold of his own clothes and he tears them in two pieces. And he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. And he went back and he stood by the bank of the river Jordan. And he took the mantle from Elijah that had fell from him and he smote the waters. He smacked the waters with that mantle. And he said, where is the God of Elijah? And when he had smacked the waters, they parted. Just like the Red Sea, right? They parted and Elisha went over. And when the sons of the prophet, which were to view at Jericho, saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came out to meet him, and they bowed themselves to him. Um, Yeah, to the ground. There is this Elisha kind of thirst amongst uh, the young people, I think, today. Not all young people, but many of them. And it really encourages me. It really encourages me. I think about Noah and Amber moving back to Dallas and Noah and I were on the ski lift going up. And I said, you know, where do you stand with that? And he said, well, you know, we we really want to get back to Dallas. And I said, well, I know you're really involved with your your church and your pastor and and the ministry and all there. I said, is that going to be hard for you? He said, yeah, that's going to probably be the hardest part. And, you know, I mean, as a, as a parent, I, I hate for him to have to give that up. And I, I just have to trust and believe that the Lord will order his steps, you know, the steps of a righteous man, and will, will cause uh, Noah to know the time that he's supposed to make that change. But having those brothers around you, that community of people that speak truth into your life, uh, especially at that young age. I mean, he's 24. He'll be 25. You know, that's, that's critical. And it's, it's been a great blessing uh, that the Lord has put those people around him. But like Dennis so astutely pointed out, <clears throat> when we talk about a famine in the land, he said, you don't hear anybody saying, no, Joe. They're all saying, yes, Joe. Why is that? Because Joe has surrounded himself with yes men. Okay. He doesn't want anybody to say, no, Joe. And that's where I see this, this famine in our land uh, is at the top. I see it in, in, you know, you think about, we just had an election here, and you think about these candidates that are running from office. Running from office. <laughs> I wish some of these candidates were running from office. <laughs> well, uh, From the mouth of the prophet. <laughs> They will be soon. from <laughs> the mouth of another prophet. <laughs> That's right. You know, we, we, we see some of these candidates that are running for governmental offices. I mean, the law of the land is going to be impacted by these people. And I see some of these. Yeah, I mean, Monica and I talk about this. I mean, you walk around the neighborhood walking the dog and you see some of these signs and you're like, oh my gosh, we're living amongst the heathens. You know? And... You know, I, I, look, I don't know that I'd want to hang out with Donald Trump, okay? But again, when we talk about making decisions that get us further down the road where the Lord wants us, you know, I always saw Donald Trump in the media with his family around him. You know, I mean, I always felt like he had our best interest at heart. I feel like he wasn't a politician. I, don't, I felt like he wasn't, you know, he didn't, certainly didn't need anybody's money. You know, so I'm not saying that he's infallible. He's a man. All men are infallible. But what I'm saying is he was leading us in the right direction, okay? He was a man. He wasn't a patsy. He didn't ha- He wasn't a puppet. He didn't surround himself with yes men. He was okay if somebody said, that's probably not the right wisest decision to, to make, okay? You know we don't i mean he got us out of all these accords and these deals and all that were so bad for our nation and here we are right back in them and so when i talk about this famine in the land that's where i see it happening most and i i mean i wonder i think i think about that i mean Is it not plain to see these people who need it most? And when I say it, I mean the word of the Lord. I mean truth, righteousness, right. I see them turning from it, paying no attention to it. They don't even want to acknowledge it. It just baffles me. Because from it, we gain things like faith we gain things like discernment, like truth. <laughs> Are those Is that not a short laundry list of the things that we need today? Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by what? The Word of God. Do we not need faith in this day? We do need faith in this day. Everybody at the bottom needs faith, people in the middle need faith, and people at the top need faith. Matthew seventeen seventeen. Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Okay, this is not new. This has been going on, I mean, for thousands of years. Discernment. How many of you in here want discernment? The ability to discern between right and wrong. The ability to discern if somebody's being truthful with you or not. Okay? If you're a governmental leader, do you not need discernment? Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is quick and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. And the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. At a time when leadership needs discernment and to know what to do in these times, there is a famine in the land. But you know, I do believe, just like we talked about this Elisha generation, that the Lord is raising up amongst the saints, the saints of this house, the saints in the network, the saints throughout the globe, that he is raising up, and pastors taught a lot about this, these children of Issachar, these sons of Issachar. And we read about them in 1 Chronicles twelve thirty-two. It says, And the children of Issachar... Now this, First Chronicles, First Chronicles is talking about um, King David and the people that are being positioned around him for his leadership. And it says that the children of Issachar was what was one group of, of, of men that were surrounding David. And it says, and the children of Issachar were men which had understanding of the times and they knew what Israel ought to do. The heads of them were two hundred, and all their brethren were at their command. I believe these children of Issachar, that, that know the times, that can discern what's going on. I believe the Lord's raising them up amongst the gray hairs. And he's also raising them up amongst the young generation. And it is a move of God because, you know, the younger generation, you think about Noah, he's 24, okay? You think about the older generation, let's say 75, he's got a third of the number of experiences as somebody that's 75. 25, 50, 75. And our our carnal mind thinks that wisdom and understanding is gained through experiences. And it is to some extent, right? If, I can't remember who it was that said, if, you know, if, a, if a cat steps on a hot stove, he won't step on a hot stove again. Why is that? Because it was hot, right? If you stick your finger in a light socket and it doesn't kill you, you're not gonna stick your finger in a light socket again because you've had that experience. Well, if you're 24, you haven't had the same number of experiences as somebody that's been 75. But the Lord is gonna give a quick understanding to this younger generation. Not only have they not had the number of experiences, they also have not been as tainted as those that have been around for 75 years. And I think that in that younger generation, the Lord is going to quicken in them their spirit. And He is going to raise up in that young generation a generation of Issachars that have discernment, that know the times, that know what the church, what we ought to do in this day. He's going to make them of quick understanding and they're going to know what we need to do in this day. The famine in the land of hearing the word of God. We read in 2 Corinthians 6-7 about the word of truth. It says, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left hand the, the, the word that is so um, the word that's so I, don't, I can't find a word to describe it that's our all in all that's so lacking in the world these days is God's word it's the word of truth and when I, when I read this and I thought about the word of truth and I thought about truth, <clears throat> I was reminded immediately <clears throat> excuse me. of John chapter 18 and verse 38 where Jesus is standing before Pilate. And Pilate asks him, this is on your handout, John eighteen thirty-seven, page 3, bottom quarter. Pilate therefore said unto him, Are you a king? And Jesus answered and said, You say I'm a king. This is the reason I was born. This is the whole cause of me coming into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. Meaning they pay attention to it. And Pilate said unto him, What is truth? And when he had said that, he washed his hands, and he went out and said to all the people, I find no fault in him at all. Men of power men of authority, men in high positions in the land have been asking for centuries, what is truth? The reason they don't know is they don't want to retain God in their knowledge. There's a famine in the land of the word of God. Since the days of Pilate, men of prominence, power, governmental leaders have been asking, what is truth? And we know that truth is Jesus. I mean, if you looked up truth in your dictionary, there's going to be a picture of Jesus Christ <laughs> right? in a Bible, because that's truth. The Word of God is truth. Ephesians 1.13 says, "...in whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise." Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.15 We're instructed, Study to show yourself approved unto God, that a workman needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. James 1.17.18 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. He never changes. How, how much can you say about, how many things are there in this world that never change? <coughs> Gravity, thankfully, that's one of them, right? Sunrise, sunset, seasons. There's certain things, most of them in nature, that never change. But when you inject man into it, all instability comes into the picture, except the perfect man, the man Jesus Christ. So um, we'll shift gears and I want to move on to Hezekiah. In 2 Kings, <clears throat> um, you all know the story of Hezekiah, but you know, Hezekiah was a good king. He was one of the ones that when you read, you, know, you read all the stuff that says, and so and so was the king, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so and so was the king at age 12, and you know, he did evil that was worse than his fathers before. You read all those and then you see, and so and so was the king, and he did right in the sight of the Lord. Hezekiah was a good king. Hezekiah, <clears throat> um, he he was one of the good ones. But we read in Hezekiah, and I, and where we're gonna, where, when we we read in the book of Hezekiah. Right. Would you please turn with me to Hezekiah? Is the book of Hezekiah in that Jerusalem Bible? No, (laughs) it's not. Good question though. (laughs) Second Kings chapter 20, we read about Hezekiah. And the the goal of this topical discussion here is I wanna talk to you about humility. When you have nothing, it's pretty easy to be humble (laughs) because you have nothing. When you have great treasure and you've been blessed as Hezekiah was, I believe that maintaining that humility becomes more difficult, okay? Because it's easy to think that all this stuff we got is because of what we did. And that is not the case. All the stuff we got, the air we breathe, the fact that we are attached to this earth through gravity, it all comes from the hand of the Lord, right? So that's what we're going to discover here in Hezekiah. But we, 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 we've read this before. It's a great story. <clears throat> you know Hezekiah in chapter 20 of Second Kings, Hezekiah gets sick to the point of death, and um, the prophet Isaiah comes to let's see, the prophet Isaiah yeah, comes to him and says, "Hey, the Lord told me to tell you, you better put your affairs in order. You're going to die. You will not live." That was a hard word. (laughs) So Hezekiah, like most of us, uh, shed many tears at that word. And uh, he basically, what does it say? It says, uh, yeah, turns his face to the wall. Let's see. Turns his face to the wall and he says to the Lord, Lord, remember, I beg you that I have, Behave faithfully and with sincerity of heart in your presence. I've done, with, I've done what you regard as right. Hezekiah shed many tears. Isaiah had not left in the middle of the court before the word of the Lord came to him and said, Hey, okay, go back to Hezekiah, prince of my people, and tell him this. The Lord your God, ancestor of David, says this. I have heard your prayer, seen your tears. I shall cure you. In three days' time, you're going to get up and you're going to go into the temple of the Lord, and I'm going to add 15 years to your life. Now, I wouldn't want the prophet coming to me saying, Put your house in order because you're going to die. You are not going to live. I also wouldn't want somebody to come to me and say, Hey, Tammy, you got 15 more years. Because I'd be counting down their days. Right? Let's see. It was 14 years, nine months, and three days ago that I got the word that I had 15 years left to live, right? I don't want to know that. But apparently Hezekiah was happy because he was extended 15 more years. Okay, so let's see. <clears throat> this is not on your handout, by the way. Um, beginning in verse 12 of chapter 20 it says so at that time the king of babylon sent letters and a gift to hezekiah for he had heard of his illness and of his recovery and hezekiah was delighted at this and so he invited the ambassador to come uh, down and have a visit and he showed this ambassador his entire treasury showed him the silver the gold the spices the precious oil showed him his armory too how many weapons he had what kind of weapons he had everything that he had in his storehouses there was nothing in his palace or in his whole domain that Hezekiah did not show to them why did he do that bragging bragging I mean what, the only way the only the only thing I can say about that is he did it out of pride he I mean that's the only explanation he wanted to show all that he had amassed. Then the prophet comes. Isaiah, Hezekiah, what have these men said to you? Hezekiah said, well, they came from a distant land and they wanted to see what I have. And so I showed them. (laughs) And so Isaiah says, well, what have they seen? Hezekiah said, they've seen it all. I've shown them everything. There's nothing in my storehouses that I have not shown them. And Isaiah says, Okay, Hezekiah, listen to the word of the Lord. Look, the days are coming when everything in your palace, everything that your ancestors have amassed until now, will be carried off to Babylon. Not a thing will be left. So the result of his pride was he was going to lose it all. And this is interesting because it shows to me that with pride, extended pride, can also come selfishness and a lack of thinking about others. So Isaiah is saying, all this is going to be carried off to Babylon. Not a thing is going to be left. Sons that have sprung from you, sons begotten by you, will be taken to be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Hezekiah is listening to all this. This is not a happy tale, right? I mean, everything he has is about to be taken off to Babylon eventually. (coughs) Hezekiah says to Isaiah, (coughs) You know, the word of the Lord that you announced to me, it's a good word. This is a good word. And then it says, the reason why he said this is because he was thinking, and why not? So long as there's peace and security in my lifetime. This word that you just gave me, it's good because I'm not gonna have to worry about it. I'm gonna be gone. I'm gonna have peace and security in my lifetime. We can let other people deal with this. I'm not gonna be around, so it doesn't really matter. So I think that all of us in the blessings that we receive from the Lord, whatever kind they are, okay? Financial blessings are one thing, but there's many different types of blessing. Acknowledge that all we have comes from the hand of the Lord. None of it. We don't manufacture any of it. Now, you know, we work hard, we do the right things, we seek the Lord, we, we, we follow the paths and blessing results. But it's not because of anything we did. It's because of his hands of goodness towards us. <coughs> Along with that, we need to always be mindful of others, right? Because Hezekiah wasn't. And, 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 and he displayed very, uh, a very selfish attitude there. And we're going to find out what happens next. Um, So after Hezekiah dies, (coughs) a 12-year-old came to the throne. This also amazes me. 12 years old, you're going to be king? Really? At 12? Manasseh, he was 12 years old when he came to the throne and he reigned for 55 years. That's a long time. A lot of these kings, you, you read about how long they lasted. 55 is a long time, 55 years in Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord copying the disgusting practices of the nation whom the Lord had driven out from the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places. He set up the altars to Baal. He made the sacred pole as Ahab had done. He worshipped the whole array of heaven and served them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord in the very place the Lord had said, Jerusalem is where I will put my name. Manasseh built altars to the whole array of heaven in the two courts of the temple of the Lord. He caused his sons to pass through the fire. That's one I just can't fathom. He also practiced soothsaying and divination, and he set up mediums and spirit guides, and did very many more things evil in the eyes of the Lord, and provoked the Lord's anger. So, let's see here. You know, Moses had prescribed the law of the Lord for the people. But through this evil leadership of Manasseh that followed after the reign of Hezekiah the good king, the people would not listen the Lord they wouldn't listen to the prophets they wouldn't read and and, and hold on to the word of the Lord and partly the reason why is because Manasseh had misled them okay The, the, the leader of the land had misled them into doing things worse you know the Lord when the Lord was bringing the Israelites into the land into Canaan, he said I'm gonna I'm gonna go before you I'm gonna work with you we're gonna drive out all these evil people do not do what they did okay we we read about you know when they came in to, to 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 conquer a town the Lord said kill them all kill the dogs the women the babies the husbands everybody you know and and, and, and in our Western civilization we think oh my God how could you go in there and kill babies and the you know and the, and the dogs I mean you can't do that the Lord wanted these evil people stomped out okay and. You know some some kings did it some kings didn't do it but the fact of the matter here is that uh, under Manasseh's reign the people God's people that had moved into the land did worse abominations than even the people they drove out so they weren't only evil they were extraordinarily evil and wicked so the Lord spoke through his servants, the prophet, as follows. Since Manasseh, king of uh, Judah, has done these shameful deeds, doing more wicked deeds than anything which the Amorites did before him, and has led Judah into all sin with idols, the Lord God of Israel says this, Look, I shall bring such a disaster on Jerusalem and on Judah as to make the ears of all those who even <coughs> hear of it tingle. Okay, the destruction was going to be so bad that people by would just be amazed at how devastated they were. And the reason I bring this up is and I wrote here a little note in my bible that the actions of a wicked leader impact all the people of the nation. So <clears throat> you know, when 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 we and I probably wrote that down because we were in the middle of this election, and I know that's past now, but you know, when when we go to the polls <coughs> to vote, there is nobody on the ballot that's perfect. Right? We, we there's not there is nobody on the ballot that's perfect. But there are some that are better than others. How do you determine that? How do you determine who's better than other? Is Abbott better than Beto? I mean I mean Beto, Beto <laughs> veto, <laughs> I Bet-no. veto, Veto, Vito, Veto. Veto. I had all these campaign slogans. Beto. Veto veto. And then I was gonna have one that said, b-e-t-n-o n-o in red of course but no um how do you how do we how do we judge that you know how how do you know i mean mom's against greg abbott you know what was that all about we need discernment right but what we definitely want is the leader and the leadership that's going to take us in the most and hear me i know that none of us are righteous. No, not one. But the leadership that's going to take us into the most righteous pathway, right? The most, the, 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 the pathway that's the most right. Because we see here an example of Manasseh that not only didn't take him in the right pathway, he took him down an evil pathway, one that was even more evil than the people that they displaced. And we're in we're in we're in interesting times. We're in difficult times, we're in interesting times, but we are in the hand of the Lord. Okay? We've all read the back of the book. Okay? Our job in the end of this teaching, what I want you to take away from this is that there is a famine in the land of hearing the word of God. <clears throat> the only way to push that famine back is to be vocal. It doesn't mean you have to stand on the street, you can stand on the street corner downtown saying repent all you sinners, you're going to hell if you don't. It's a good message. But it's simply as saying, here's what I believe. And here's why I believe it. You know, <laughs> speak up. Because I promise you that our society today, I mean, we've heard this term that's new to us, cancel culture, right? Cancel culture. I'm going to cancel you out, Tammy. Anything you say that I don't agree with, I'm going to discredit you, I'm going to cancel it out, I'm going to be so vocal against you that people are not going to say anything to me because they don't want me to cancel them. That's the culture that we live in. Okay. We, we, we have to speak up. We have to speak up. And might it cost us our life? I talked about Dietrich Bonhoeffer you know, in, in, uh, in Adolf Hitler days and how he was a prolific pastor and teacher and martyr. They hung him like six days before uh, the end of the war. Is it gonna cost you your life, Stacy? I hope not. I can't say it won't. I can't say it won't cost all of our lives. But the fact of the matter is, you know, to die is to, is is gain. I mean, is anybody in here not going to die? Anybody? I mean, we may get raptured, okay? But I don't know about that. I'm not going to bet on it. We're all going to die of something. But my fact that my the point of my the point of this is. We have to be vocal, we have to speak up, we have to say what we believe, why we believe. I don't have to make you believe what I believe. I'm not even trying to make you believe what I believe. I would love for you to believe what I believe, but I need to be able to tell you what I believe and why I believe it, okay? Because everything that we believe and hear, all of us saints, and all those hearing my voice today throughout the globe and the saints network, we have the light in us, okay? We've studied, and will continue to study, to show ourselves approved. We know what to say, we know what we believe, and we have to just simply say it. Simple as that. With that, I want to thank you for being here today, for listening to my ramblings, my the things that the Lord has revealed to me over these past number of weeks. And I just pray and hope that you um, have, have gained something from this. And I look forward to any questions that you might have now or any comments. And um, if you have those, speak forth now. And if not, Dennis can come up and let us know who's teaching next.